Welcome to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Continuing in our sermon series that has us looking at some of the various songs of the season, some of the things that we sing during this season of Advent. One of the things that we find is that these songs are so often interwoven with Scripture. And not only do they allow Scripture to come alive in our hearts once again, but what we find is, is that as we've gone through studying some of these different songs of the season, that it also gives a richness and an added meaning to the songs that we have become so familiar with that maybe we don't even really think about what it is that they're actually saying. And so going back to week one, we looked at this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We saw that it was this song filled with rich theology, a song that reminds us of the promises that were made in the coming of Jesus Christ and indeed how Christ has come. Last week, we were reminded of how we can join together with all of heaven. I have to be so careful that I don't say join together with all of the angels as they sing, but instead to be reminded of once again these truths of Jesus being promised coming into the world should cause our hearts to join together with all of creation to sing God's glorious praise. And today we come to another hymn. It's a song that many of us are familiar with, the song, O Come, All Ye Faithful. As we've been saying throughout this series, if you want to open up your hymn books, we're going to be in page 193. If you want to open up your Bibles, you can have that in your other hand because we're going to be looking at some of the other passages uh, that come out of this hymn. One of the things is that I want to give you a little bit of background about this song. Many of you may be somewhat familiar with it. It's probably one of the most popular songs that we sing during this season. In fact, uh, this song has been translated from the Latin into over 125 different languages. It shows you how popular this song that we sing really is. It's ascribed to a gentleman by the name of John Francis Wade. We actually know very little about him. Uh, He was not a theologian. He was not a pastor. He happened to be a teacher. But he was a teacher who loved to write music. And so he happened to write this song down, though it's actually attributed to Cisterian monks even earlier than that. But this is what we know about it. It was a hymn that was published in England back in 1751. Now here's the thing. As I first studied this hymn, there was a couple of things that perhaps I noticed. And the first thing is this. This is a hymn that is actually different from all of the other hymns that we have sung so far. On first glance, this is a hymn that is not as theologically robust 
as some of the other hymns that we've looked at so far. If you think about it, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel talks about all of the Old Testament prophecies that have been fulfilled in Jesus, how he is the day spring, how he's the desire of nations, how he is Emmanuel, God with us. And then we think about last week and what we've sung together, uh, once again about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament prophecies, how he is the newborn king, how he's the offspring of the virgin's womb, how he's the Godhead veiled in flesh, how he's the incarnate deity. But this morning's song is actually a little bit different because when you look at it, there's not as much theological richness and depth compared to the other songs that we've sung. Uh, what this song mentions is how Jesus has been born and he is the king of angels. We're reminded in the second verse of how we can come and bring glory to God and how we can exalt him. And the third verse talks about how Jesus is the word of the Father now in flesh appearing. And that's really about it when you look at this hymn. So we would look at it and we might see, it might seem that it's pretty uh, light on theology. And maybe the reason for that is because it's actually designed to invoke a response in our hearts. It's a hymn that calls our hearts to come in line with the very heart of God and to say a, a desire for us is to have the very heart of Jesus. And because we have the heart of Jesus, our desire is to come before him to say, Lord, you alone are worthy of the praise that I desire you to have. And so the point being, it's not necessarily a bad thing that it's a little lighter on theology because it's a song that's designed for response. Now, here's the thing is, I thought that this was a song that was light on theology until I began to study and was reminded that there is another verse, a verse that's not printed in our hymn book, that once I saw that it actually changed the entire purpose of this message. In fact, it totally turned. I said, okay, we've got to focus on something else. What is that? I'll tell you in just a minute. Now, the second thing is this. What struck me is that this is a song that is about being joyful and triumphant. But let's be honest. Many of us during this season don't necessarily feel joyful and triumphant. We don't feel like, oh, let us come and adore. And why is that? It's because you and I, instead of feeling joyful and triumphant, can often feel down. We can feel depressed. We can feel defeated. We, we feel the things that are happening around us. We see what's happening in the world. And it go, comes to our minds and we begin to feel down or depressed. Maybe you think about what's happening in your family life or your financial life. Or maybe you look at your marriage and you think we've been married for 20 years and it feels like we should be in a different place than we are now. Maybe you're experiencing the loss of someone or the reminder of a loss. I mean, we have all of these things that 
that happen to us. And these things, as we've studied in the past, can be things that steal our joy. So sometimes we come to this season and we don't necessarily feel like we want to sing along with this hymn, Come what ye joyful, come ye who are triumphant. You know, oftentimes we think of the big things, but sometimes it's just simply the little things. Let me tell you, one of the reasons why I don't necessarily feel joyful and triumphant is whenever I go to the store during this season. And I say this because of this. If you follow me into the store, you need to leave behind the cart that I first pick. So when I go in and pick a cart, I always pick the one with the wobbly wheel right? Or I pick the one that starts pulling off right to the corner and you're constantly fighting, right? That's something that drives me crazy. So I have to go back to the front of the store, put it back. You don't want to pick that one. Or this even happened to me yesterday, just in line at a restaurant. But when I go to the store, if you see me get in line, you pick the other one. All right. Because I always pick the slowest line. Uh, the person has to get a price check you know, they're writing with a check. I don't know what it is, but I always pick the slow side. In fact, we're at the restaurant yesterday, and here we are. We're standing. It's a long line. They open up a second one, so people start filing into that one. And I'm like, I was in front of that guy, and now he's at the very front of the line. And I'm waiting there and waiting there and waiting there and waiting there. And finally, I move over to this line. She says, oh, by the way, we're closed on this line. So, you know, we are all the, the other part of our family that was there, they had already gotten their food and were eating, and we were waiting and waiting. The point is, there's all these things that can happen that sometimes want to steal our joy. Maybe we don't come into this season and we feel joyful and triumphant. And so we come to a song like this, and maybe we just don't get it. We see it, we hear it, it's not as rich in theology. Maybe we don't necessarily feel the joy and triumph of this season. Our hearts don't resonate with it. But here's what I want us to see. The question comes, well, if we don't necessarily feel this way, and it says to come before him, the question is really, who is it that Jesus calls? Who, who are the types of people that Jesus called? Now, how would we answer that? Does Jesus call the joyful and triumphant? Does Jesus only call the faithful? Come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Well, here's the truth of what scripture says. Notice God actually says, come to me you who are weary and burdened. See, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus did not come for the wise or the clever in verse 25 that precedes this. Jesus did not come for the joyful or the triumphant. Jesus came for the lowly, for those who are humble, for those who are in need. God came for the weary, for the broken. Notice, Jesus also came and he calls the faithless. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, that if we are faithless, he remains faithful, 
for he cannot disown himself. You and I are going to have days where we doubt. You and I are going to have days where we might not necessarily feel joyful or triumphant. And when we don't feel that, sometimes our hearts don't want to sing the praises of God. Maybe there are things that are happening in your life that cause you to doubt. But here's the good news is that when you and I have those moments where we doubt or when we fall into sin, God is faithful and he cannot disown himself. So if you don't necessarily feel full of faith today, well, guess what? God calls you. Notice a third thing. Jesus calls sinners. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 12 to 13, Jesus says this, that it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. But go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, as Pastor Andrew so eloquently reminded us as we came to the table last week, that Jesus did not come for those who have their lives all together. Jesus did not come for those who are perfect. Jesus came for the sick for the weary, for the broken. He came for people just like you and me. In fact, if you and I were to rewrite this hymn, we could probably say something like this. Oh, come all ye sinners, come ye weak and weary, come all ye faithless to Bethlehem. But here's the good news. This is not where Jesus Christ leads us. Because this is the good news of the gospel. The promise of Advent, the hope of Christmas, is that Jesus has come into the world. That he has taken on flesh and bone. He removes our doubt. He removes our weakness. And scripture says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That the old has gone and the new has come. It is Jesus Christ who makes us a new creation. In fact, when we are in Christ, Jesus removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. It's Jesus who helps us to be faithful. It's Jesus who gives us hope and strength when we are weak and weary. And it is Jesus who gives us the hope and to be more fruitful and faithful. Now, the question is, how is all of this possible? It's possible because Jesus is God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is the king of angels. He is the word of the father. But as we will find out in this verse that is packed with such rich theology, Jesus is the true God of true gods. Notice what this verse says. True God of true God, light from light eternal, lo, he shuns not the virgin's womb, son of the father, begotten, not created. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Is Christ the Lord. 
Now, it's possible you're wondering, where does that come from? Because it feels somewhat vaguely familiar. And the reason is because this verse comes directly from the Nicene Creed. You're wondering, okay, what are these creeds? Uh, last year, we're probably more familiar with the Apostles' Creed. We say it a little more often. In fact, about a year, year and a half ago, we actually had a sermon series that walked through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, but the Nicene Creed is a creed, it's pretty amazing. In the original form, it is the only creed that is accepted by the Orthodox, the Catholic Church, and the Protestant Church. I mean, it just goes to show you how widespread the use of the Nicene Creed is, which, by the way, we will sometimes, every once in a while, use here. Now, we think of the Apostles' Creed. Remember, we were reminded in that sermon series, it wasn't written by the Apostles, uh, but it is one of the earliest teachings of the church based on the teachings of the Apostles and what you find in Scripture. The Nicene Creed was written a couple of centuries later in 325 AD. It was affirmed during the first ecumenical council of Nicaea. Now, if you need a little bit of church refresher or church history refresher, let me give you just a little bit of background so you understand where does that come from. Well, we think of, if you go back to the very beginning, uh, in the early church, especially in the book of Acts, you find that there, the church was under such incredible persecution. Uh, you find that this persecution uh, was coming first from the Jewish people, as well as then from the Roman Empire. Uh, you know, if you read uh, Acts chapter 4 and 5, you see the way in which Peter and John were persecuted against. You get to Acts chapter 12, and you see how John was actually, uh, he lost his life to the sword. Peter wasn't far behind him, but an angel came in and saved him. Peter was able to escape that punishment. But then you get to later in Acts as well, and we see the way in which Paul begins to preach, but at the same time, the way in which Paul was persecuted against by his fellow Jews. Of course, we know that this persecution also came from the Roman Empire. And we know that at times this persecution was small and localized. And at other times it became throughout larger and really throughout the entire empire. We see this persecution continuing for a couple of hundred years until you get to 311 AD where the Roman Emperor Galerius signs this famous Edict of Toleration. And so for the first time in a couple hundred years, Christians are no longer being persecuted against in the same way that they were before. So you can imagine that these early Christians were probably meeting in smaller pockets, right, afraid for their lives, and so it's smaller. And now all of a sudden you have this toleration that's going to happen across the empire. Now suddenly these churches are able to begin maybe talking to each other. There's a, perhaps a wider breadth of conversation that's happening across these churches. Well, what you also find is that in these various churches, you have different beliefs that are beginning to pop up, different questions uh, about theology. And so you get to this council of Nicaea in 325, and there are these questions about, well, what's really scripture? And what belongs in the canon? You know, you have these questions about the nature of the Trinity. You have these questions about, well, who is Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ really the Son of God? Or was he created, right? Has he always existed? Or is he this special being that was created, came into earth, and then somehow attained, 
right? Godlike status. Well, here at the Council of Nicaea, there was this conversation and there was this debate. There's two people that were really involved. If you think of it, uh, two kind of branches. One is uh, Athanasius and this idea that Jesus is eternally begotten. He's always existed. And you have Arius. And Arius taught that God uh, created Jesus. And Jesus was not co-eternal, did not always exist, and he was created. There's a lot of modern-day cults that kind of believe this kind of idea as well. And if you just follow in Jesus' footsteps, well, then you too can someday obtain like this God-like status. And so you had this debate that was taking place during the Council of Nicaea, and it was here that it was affirmed out of, it's estimated between 250 and maybe as many, like 318 church leaders were there, and only two voted to, with Arius, Arius being one of them. And so it was here that we have affirmed, this is what they wrote. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. Sounds kind of like the Apostles' Creed. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. Now, this is actually a slightly updated version of that, but I want you to understand, you cannot miss the point of the Nicene Creed, which, by the way, they just pull simply from Scripture that Jesus is God, that he has eternally existed with God. He is God of God. He is light of light. He is true God of true God. We live in a culture, and even today, people will still say they have questions about Jesus. Was Jesus really God? Or was he just a created being? We have questions. Was Jesus an angel? Was he some type of new being that we too can someday attain? Or was Jesus the Lord of hosts who took on flesh? So the question is, where did this come from, by the way? Did these council members just kind of make this up, or were they pulling from Scripture? I want to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, open to John chapter 1. And I want us to see, what does it say in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. You know, I don't know if you've noticed. But one of the themes of all of the Christmas hymns that we've sung so far is this idea that Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. Indeed, I mean, that is the mystery of Christmas. That the God of gods would take on human flesh 
and be born as an infant baby. And not only that, but that this baby born into this world would give his life on a cross. He would die so that you and I may have life. This is the kind of king that we worship here at Christmas. Think about this idea. John says that Jesus is God. And the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter 9, 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so I want us to think about that for just a moment. You know, when we look at a manger scene like this, if, as we heard last week, if this is what this looked like, right? And I want you to see this porcelain little figure here. And I want you to see this, this baby that is here in this manger. To think that this baby is God of gods. That he is light of lights. That he is the word of the Father, now in flesh appearing that he is the wonderful counselor, that he is the mighty God, right? That he is the prince of peace, that Jesus is the bread of life, that he is the cup of salvation offered up for us. To think that he is the one who lifts our heads all in this little baby that was born into this world. Do we really take on and grasp what God has done for us? Or do we just make it, well, wow, what a cute little manger scene. See this baby lying there. To think that this baby is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the kind of king that you and I worship. This God, man, king ultimately came to give his life for you and for me. You know, I think about when our children were young and when I held them in my hands, these infants that their whole future is lied out before them. And I, I don't know what that's going to look like. There's, there's dreams and there's hopes and there's possibilities. And yet Jesus came to this world to give his life so that you and I may have life. You know, if I, I being the father would not want that for my own children. And yet God, as a loving father, gave up his son so that we may have and we may know everlasting life. This is how great God's love is for us. This is how great God's love is for you. Why did this have to happen? 
Notice, by the way, what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 to 17. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Beloved people, when we hear that, how could we not say, oh, come, let us adore him? Oh, come, let us adore him because he is Christ the Lord. Even if you don't particularly feel joyful and triumphant today, even if you don't feel like you have your act together, even if you feel like you are poor and weak, though you are projecting strength to everyone else that's around you, if you feel like you are faking it today, why can we come and adore? Because it's not based on who we are. It's based on who God is. It is not based on our merit, but on God's mercy. This is God's love for us. And that's why we can come joyful and triumphant. This is why we can come and adore him. But beloved people, I want you to know you cannot come joyful and triumphant unless you know that Jesus is a savior who has come to save you and me. The reason the world misses out on it is because of what we could call misdirected praise. See, the world, Jesus didn't just come to make us feel better. Jesus didn't just come so that you and I can exchange gifts during this Christmas season. Jesus came so that you and I might have life. And we might have eternal life through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Only those people who recognize this and know this are able to come before him joyful and triumphant. Notice what John chapter 1 says in verses 10 through 15. He says, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but they were born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. You know, I probably share this with you every year, 
but it's something that rings true to me. And since we have new family here amongst us, to share it with you again, I am reminded at this season every year of the first church that we served in Pennsylvania. This church had a tradition where someone would donate a tree from their yard, uh, an evergreen tree, usually 18 to 20 feet tall, and they would chop that tree down and they would put it in the portico right out front of church and they would wrap it in lights. It was a reminder that Jesus is the light of the world who brings eternal life. And that tree would be there all throughout Christmas. But after Christmas, that tree would come down and it was set aside. But yet after that, what would happen? They would shear the branches off of that tree. And during the season of Lent, they would take the trunk of that tree and they would fashion it into the shape of a cross. And that cross would now be the very piece of what? That picture of what Jesus had done for us. And that would be in the place where the tree once stood. It was a reminder that Jesus came into this world in order to give his life. It was a reminder that Christmas and Easter are connected to one another. This is why, and I've showed this to you before, this is why this is one of the favorite ornaments that we have Somebody had given this to us a number of years ago, and it is a reminder with the wording that came with it that we hang it closest to the trunk of the tree. It's kind of hidden, so only we are the ones who can really see it, but it's a reminder that this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to give his life. He gave his life so that you and I may have eternal life. And when you and I know that, this is why we can come as a people who are joyful and triumphant. Our greatest desire as a church is that you would have your story intersect with the gospel story, and that you would know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We want you to be able to sing as a citizen of heaven. We want you to be able to join and sing on that happy morning that Jesus is the word of the Father now in flesh appearing. But beloved people, that cannot happen unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't feel faithful, if you don't feel joyful, or if you don't feel triumphant, perhaps it is because you have not said yes to a relationship with Jesus, who is the word who has become flesh and who has made his dwelling among us. Perhaps you have never known that Jesus is the atonement for our sins that keep us from being able to spend an eternity with God. And if that's you, this is what I pray you remember. It's the message of the cross. It's not that we have to have our act together. It's not that we have to be perfect or sinless. In fact, it is just the opposite. Because who is it who Jesus calls? He calls the weak and the weary. 
He calls those who are faithless. He calls sinners like you and me. And all it takes is us admitting that we fall short of God's perfect standard and that we need a Savior to give his life, to live a perfect life that we could not live, to die a death we could not die so that we could attain eternal life. And it's all because of God's love and mercy. This is why he sent his son into the world so that we may have life. Jesus is the true God of true gods. He is the light of life. He is able to bring to us this salvation. And when you and I believe in that good news, this is how we are able to say, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. For others of you, perhaps you have known Jesus, but there has been some besetting sin, some sin pattern in your life that just keeps you from being able to be joyful and triumphant. You know, there are things that happen in work and in home and in our finances and all of these things that we need to be reminded of sometimes on a daily basis that Jesus is the word of the Father now in flesh appearing. And what that means, he knows every hurt that you have. He knows every temptation that you face. He knows everything that is broken about you and he loves you. And he loves us so much that we can turn to him and remind ourselves, sometimes on a daily basis, that we are a new creation. That the old has gone and the new has come. And when we falter and when we fail because of his great mercy, you and I can be made new each and every day. And when we know these things, how can we not come to him? but joyfully and triumphantly. Brother people, oh come, let us adore him. Oh come, let us adore him. Oh come, let us adore him. Because he is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how can we not come with hearts filled with thanksgiving and praise? Lord, to think of the songs that we have sung this morning, the songs that we have sung throughout this season are a reminder that you are Emmanuel, God with us. That you have taken on flesh and bone. That you were born into this world. That you came so that we may have life eternal life, abundant life. Lord, joy in this life as we walk this earth, joy in the life that is to come, 
that as we are reminded that death does not have the last and final word, it is life that does. And it's all because Jesus was born into this world so that he could give his life for us. Lord, we would ask that if there is any person here who does not know that, who has not proclaimed that for the first time, or Lord, who has been walking with you but has forgotten it because of something that is happening in their lives, I would pray that this is the day, this is the moment, this is the hour where, Lord, they are saying, Jesus, would you forgive me a weary, a broken sinner? And Lord, that they would know that in you, they are indeed a new creation. That the old has gone and the new has come. And together, would all of our hearts be able to say, Oh, come, let us adore him with joyful and triumphant hearts filled with praise. And so we offer all of these things to you this morning. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.